All right, Tom, next is a question from the MBT forum. Um, if one of you has a question, um, ah, you do. Okay. Uh, Jens, please go ahead with your question. <laughs> I'm glad I looked over. Hello. Hello. I wanted to ask how, um, how evolution was created in our reality and like who created it? If it was like, did it, was it computed by the LCS and like, how did it get the idea? Okay. You're talking about the evolution of consciousness or the evolution of our virtual reality? Both. Okay. What happens, the way that that uh, gets started, it's not planned, really, uh, in, in a sense, and it's not programmed. You just have initial conditions and a rule set, and then you let it go and see what happens. Things just happen. They evolve because there's the way the rule set's set up, things are interactive, and they can interact with each other in lots of different ways. And the way they actually do interact with other, each other has to do with choice, or it may have to do just with randomness. And in any case, interactions happen, and as they happen, things change, and those changes allows different sets of interactions, which allow different sets of interactions, and it either grows or it doesn't. All those interactions that are useful, then the system keeps those because they're useful. And those interactions that just don't work out and aren't helpful lets those go. So eventually it just becomes. So you start with, with, uh, you know, like our, our, uh, virtual reality evolution would be this, you know, physical universe, right? And you start with the, with the, uh, ball of, uh, you know, high pressure, high temperature, big bang theory, right? And then you let it expand according to the rule set and it cools and it expands and it creates suns and worlds and everything. And then something comes together that creates a cell and those cells all evolve into us here on this planet. So that's the evolution, but there's criteria there. And the criteria is what, what works gets to continue. So in our biology, you know, you have single cell, multi-celled and cell differentiation and so on. It works its way up to you have really complex things like dolphins and killer whales and humans and cats and dogs and horses. You have all that stuff evolving just because it could. It's possible according to the rule set. So the rule set evolves into its, into its possibilities. And as it evolves into a dysfunctional possibility, well, that doesn't continue. That just dies out because it doesn't work well. Our criteria in this universe is we are biologically, our criteria is survive and procreate. If you can't do those two things, then you're going to become extinct and disappear. So only things that can, that can do that will evolve in our biological system. Okay, we have things in our non-biological system, like our universe, you know, only things that can hold together and lower entropy in the sense that you have big clumps of things rather than just nothing but uh, elementary particles and maybe hydrogen, hydrogen atoms. Well, you see, then if things can't coalesce, if things small things can't make bigger and more complex things, then nothing will happen. It just sits there and is a, is elementary particles and hydrogen gas and that's it. Nothing will ever go past that point. So that sort of evolution requires a rule set that allows those things to clump up 
allows those things to form suns and to form planets. And if the rule set doesn't allow that, then you, it doesn't evolve. So you keep changing, you know, when you want to create one of these, you start with a rule set and you start with uh, initial conditions and then you see what happens. And if it's not what you want, you go back and change the rules and change the initial conditions and try it again. And you keep doing that till you get something that produces what it is you want to see. So it's, that's why we find in this reality that there's lots of very finely tuned things going on to keep this universe working the way it works. If any little bit of the rule set changed, it would fall apart. Does that answer your question? Why is it things evolve? They just evolve because they interact. And that interaction solves, has to work towards some criteria. In consciousness, the criteria is lowering entropy. In our virtual reality, the criteria is survival and procreation. So things change and they have to have some criteria upon which change is determined positive or negative, useful or not useful. But, so it was, but it was uh, created with the intent that it could evolve that way. So there yes, would be place for interaction and. Uh, exactly. The rule set has to be such that it produces something that interacts, something that can change itself, okay, something that has choice. Like, by, you know, if we're talking about us, like biological uh, evolution. Something has to have choice. And the choice could be very simple, like the choice of an amoeba. But those choices then, if they, you know, if as that thing grows up and learns to cooperate with other amoeba, you know, maybe it, its own inner workings become more complex because of its, its needs, then the thing keeps building. It's a, it's what I call a process fractal. Evolution is a process fractal. You go through this process, and you get a result, then you take that result and put it through the process again. And the process is you explore the possibilities and keep the ones that work. Mm-hmm. But the system has to have this, the rule set has to define potential. You know, the rule set is what gives it its potential to become something. So our rule set really defines all the interactions that any of the, any of the uh, things can have. Interactions between atoms, interactions between people, interactions, you know, all the interactions are defined by our physics and our chemistry and our biology. And through those interactions, our universe has evolved. We have evolved. But you got to start with something that produces that potential. Okay. And, um, is it also like the? Is there also like a rule for our uh, belief system, like that it that certain beliefs are um, programmed in a certain way, or are there like limits because uh, we can change our belief systems or get rid of them? But mm-hmm. is there like a, a rule that limits any of that? No. That's not, that's ours to develop. You know, what we believe in our belief systems don't come from a rule. They come from, you know, people making things up and sharing them. People coming to conclusions about things. Whether the belief is true or not true, people come to conclusions. And then those conclusions become beliefs. And then those beliefs become a belief trap because they won't let any other information in because it's contrary to their belief. 
all that's created by us. Thank you so much. Yeah, so we can create them and we can get rid of them. You see, the idea is that don't have any beliefs. Yeah. Then you're not caught in any traps. You just take things as they are. You know, you, you live in the moment. Things are the way they are and you deal with it the way it is and you let the beliefs go. Stay skeptical. Stay open-minded. Stay, uh, you know, in the present and everything will just work out. Stay authentic. If you stay authentic, then you'll learn. Because even if the authentic you is high entropy, you'll make choices that will teach you not to make those choices again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've done some of those? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've done some of those. But um, I think the SES is pretty fast in teaching. Only when the students are pretty fast at learning. <laughs> I'm doing my best, I hope. Well, you'll always have opportunities to change if you're not. Yes. But sometimes I feel like it's um, it's like a little internal fight. Like you have, it's like a fight between uh, like being authentic and um, being open-minded and ego and beliefs and fears. It's a struggle. Because you're, you know, you don't just grow up without any effort. Growing up takes work. It takes intent to grow up. If you just kind of wait for growing up to happen and don't make any effort for it, it won't happen. You have to want to grow up. You have to be aware of how things work. You have to be aware of your feelings and how much it's negative and how much is it positive and where is the negative coming from and where is the positive coming from. So you have to ask these these kinds of questions, and then you have to make an effort, an intention to grow up, to be better than you are, to be lower entropy. And it's that intention that actually causes you to grow up. Mm-hmm. Yes, but like what I that was what I was thinking. Like you can you, but can you get rid of a fear or a negative thing instantly? Because usually people are telling me that it's. I'm young and it takes time and I have to work on it continuously and wait for it to come back and then work on it again. But it's like uh, so time consuming. So is there, <laughs> is there not a way to, to like just say, okay, this doesn't feel right. I just don't want it anymore from now sure. on. Sure. You, you will change when you are ready. When you're ready to make the change, you can make it. And you can do that in an hour. You can realize something, say, all right, this is a problem. I see my mistakes. I'm doing this and that. I'm not going to do that anymore. And actually, it's not I'm not going to do that. You have to say I'm not going to be that anymore. See, not doing it is easy. All you have to do is catch yourself and stop doing it. Not being it is a little harder, and that's what takes a little longer. But you can make those those choices and see results almost immediately. doesn't have to be a long time. It's just that the not being it anymore often is a little harder than not doing it anymore. See, those are different. It's not, you don't work toward good action, work toward good being. And if you can get good being, the good action will take care of itself. 
So it's, I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to change. Then you have to keep that intent, hold that intent long enough that uh, you become it. And then it's gone. But that can happen quickly. Sometimes people have all the things that they need in place, and that last piece suddenly makes the difference, and they're ready, and they change. It can be quick, but mostly it's not. Mostly it takes a while to get to the bean level change. The intellectual part of the change, the, I don't want to be that, you know, I don't want to be that way. You get that in your intellect, but actually not being that way generally takes a little more time. Okay. But would you, but would you recommend it like to, to set it as like a priority? Like, would it be the first priority you like when you like the, the moment you realize that there is something? Shouldn't you make it like the first? Because like life is so um, demanding. Like every time there's something going yeah. on, you have kind of things to do and right. expectations to meet. But would you recommend to just like to put it as a first priority? To just yeah, you can put it as a priority, but that doesn't mean you have to stop doing everything else. You know, it's not like you have to go out, you know, in the woods someplace and sit in a cave until you figure it out because that's your number one priority and everything else will just have to stop. You know, it's not like that, but you, you do make it your first priority in the sense that you keep it in your mind all the time. You don't forget about it. It's always there. So while you're doing all the things you have to do, you know, like paying your bills, you know, whatever, making your bed, you know, cleaning the house, putting gas in the tank, you know, whatever it is, you know, going going to see mom and dad, you know, all the things that you need to do in your life, you can continue to do those. But in the back of your mind, you need to say, I want to change. I want to be different. And if you keep that going, even while you're doing other things, then you will change more quickly. If you forget about it and say, well, gee, that's a lot of work. I'll work on that later. Right now I'm busy. Then you'll probably never change. You see, yeah. you have to keep that thought. I want to grow up. I want not to be this way that I see that I am. I want to be different. And if that's constantly there, yes, go about the rest of your life, but don't let that go. Don't put it off. Keep it there all the time. And you will see that it really won't take nearly as long as you think. It'll happen pretty quickly. It's people who forget about it and shove it away because they don't really want to deal with the fact that they not, they're not where they want to be, that they have to change. They don't like that. They want to just be who they are and have everything work well. And they keep ignoring the problem, hoping it'll just go away somehow on its own. It doesn't. You have to keep working on it. You keep to, have to keep having that intent to be different. Yes, I think I can do that. <laughs> well, then you've got the keys to the kingdom. There isn't uh, anything holding you back from absolute perfection. Now's the time to start. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom. That You're was welcome. Really I'll read the next question um, from the MBT forum then. In book one of the MBT trilogy, Tom mentions that the logic and mathematics that we use are only local PMR small picture logic and mathematics. I'm curious how it is that if we indeed are parts of the larger consciousness system, 
who have access to everything available to consciousness and as fundamentally information systems, that logic itself would vary from virtual reality to virtual reality. Logic seems inherent to information from the simplest bit upwards and seems to have only one correct deductive form. Thus, I'm wondering if Tom is referring to our PMR perspective, which leads to appeal to the materially and cause materiality and causality of PMR as an analogical, or if he really means to say that first-order logic, including the metalogical laws, law of excluded, law of identity, law of non-contradiction, are the most basic fundamental, are not the most basic fundamental logic. Well, I guess that depends. It depends on what we pull out as the set of the most basic and fundamental logic. Uh, I think I was talking about the rule set being math-based, and math is nothing more than the logic of quantity. Quantity has its own logic, things that you can do with quantity, and there's sets of rules Logic, if you will, statements that set up the things that, you know, the logical things that can be done with various quantities and how they can mix and how they interact with each other, you know, and those are the, those are the fundamental theorems, if you will, or, or laws that are underneath of first arithmetic, you know, and then algebra and then calculus and so on. Um, those are local to us. In the sense that this is this is a reality, a, a virtual reality that is based on quantity. When you create a virtual reality, you calculate it. When you calculate things, they are quantified. So our reality is very mathematical. That's why we find that our world. We look at our world. We look at the plants. We look at the animals. We look at ourselves, and we can find all this mathematical connections of how the math kind of represents us well that's because we're we are computed and then rendered uh, by a rule set that is logical and a lot of that logic is the logic of quantity because quantity is how you you uh, you know define this world in terms of quantity so in that sense i said it was local because you can go to uh, virtual realities that aren't based on quantity you can go to virtual realities where quantity is a very flexible thing. You know, it's not the, it's not the logical thing it is here. Like, uh, in your dream reality, in your dream reality, you know, scenes can change instantly. Uh, you know, mountains can rise up right, you know, before your face and then disappear again. Um, your intent can, can create things and get rid of things. Uh, you can have an intent to have a, you know, a wonderful, uh, you know, cherry vanilla ice cream cone in your hand, and there it is, and you can lick it, and it's delicious. You see, so these kind of violate the same kind of quantity rules that we have in this physical reality, where we have conservation laws and other aspects of quantity here. So in that case, our math that that is part of our rule set is rule set based on quantity, and the logic of that math is what we call, you know, our, our mathematics of all our sciences are based on or finding those mathematical uh, rules, digging out the, the rules that are in the rule set. So now the things that, that he mentioned in the very last sentence there, 
you know, some other basic things that have to do with, with existence, you might say, would be another set of rules that wouldn't necessarily be based on quantity, but would be based on interaction between conscious beings. And you can have a set of rules about that, about lowering entropy, about caring and, and uh, you know, compassion about cooperation we could set a whole set of rules now that uh, makes things work better between conscious beings well that you know then would be a different rule set and you might want to say that's maybe more fundamental than the one that's about quantity so i'm not so sure how far we can go with what's more fundamental than what the rules tend to apply to a system okay and different systems may have different rules so we have a system that's just interactions between conscious beings. We're not dealing with stuff anymore. We're not dealing with, you know, how they're clothed or what their bodies look like. Then that's a different system of awareness and consciousness we're dealing with. And that will then produce a different set of rules. And because consciousness is fundamental, perhaps those sets of rules would be, could be said to be fundamental as well. Whereas let's say mathematics that is the underlying, uh, that defines the underlying rule set in this virtual reality based on quantity, that would be a totally different uh, set of rules. So I'm not sure about, you know, worrying over, you know, what rules are more fundamental than other rules. Rules just explain systems. Each set of rules is, you know, is, is there to set the context and the interactions within a system. And we can talk about what systems are more fundamental, and then I guess the rules that underpin that system would be more fundamental. But I can't think of any other way to sort this out other than by the fundamentalness of the system rather than the fundamentalness of the rules. Would you say that um, logic is pretty universal from what he's yeah. yeah, all of these rules, all of these rules need to be logical. Yes, logic, logic by itself is very universal. Logic is what determines, you know, true from false, what works and what doesn't. Uh, rules are based on, you know, have to have some purpose. Rules without purpose are really of no interest to anybody. You know, maybe there's an academic interest there, but rules have to have some kind of purpose. And, that purpose could be the ordering of the stuff, you know, the ordering of the quantity. So, yes, logic, logic logic, is how you tell the difference between what's effective and what's not, what's true and what's false, what's um, valuable and what isn't, what's, you know, productive and profitable and, and what's not productive and not profitable. So logic is, is basic, yes. All right. Next question is from Nicholas E., he says, hi, Tom, I'm fascinated by sleep. We get gadgets all the time, sleep trackers showing us exactly how much percentage of deep sleep or rapid eye movement, sleep and light sleep we get. Question is, how much deep sleep do we need? And if the REM is where we make choices, is there anything we can do to increase the rapid eye movement? Well, you know, we know... We know about, uh, you know, the various stages of sleep. Uh, we have sometimes, we have periods of deep sleep, some periods of REM sleep, and both of them are necessary. In sleep labs, if you never get that deep sleep, 
then you generally feel kind of tired and exhausted. If you never get that REM sleep, then you have other kind of other issues. If you always interrupt the REM sleep and don't let that happen, then there's, there's other, uh, you know, consciousness issues that you get. So we need all of it and we need certain amounts of it, but everybody's individual. There are people who only get three hours of sleep a night and they're bright eyed and bushy tailed and they, they run their life that way. And there's other people that have to get 12 hours of sleep a night. And, you know, otherwise they feel tired and draggy during the day. So everyone is different. I don't think you can talk about what's good for an individual. You can talk about what's normal and what's average in the way most people are. You know, most people need about eight hours of sleep. But that doesn't really say anything about an individual. So I'd say being an individual, be a little cautious of trying to apply what has been determined to be typical or average to yourself. You may not be typical or average. So if the if the average or the typical thing is you get this many hours of sleep and this many hours of REM and this many hours of deep, and you're trying to adjust yourself to meet that typical thing, you may be trying to jam a square peg in a round hole. You may not be typical. So I'd say work to see what suits you. And if you need more deep sleep, then you probably need a few other things as well. Like you probably need a little high, a little lower levels of stress and lower levels of anxiety. Stress and anxiety can get in the way of that deep level of sleep. If you need more REM, um, well, sometimes it's not that you need more REM. Maybe you just need more awareness of your dreams. In that sense, start keeping a dream journal. Make dreams important to you. And you'll begin to remember them more. Um, like anything else in the, in the biological system, there's a balance of many factors. And if you have any of the factors out of balance, then the whole system is going to be out of balance. So if your diet isn't good, if you don't exercise, if you get too much stress, you know, all of these things are factors. And if any of those get far out of balance, then your sleep isn't going to be very well balanced and you're not necessarily going to get what you, what you need as you need it. So it's a holistic thing. Look at it holistically. Don't just try to fix the sleep part. You have to fix the whole system. So if you fix the diet part and the exercise part and the, you deal with those big problems that are keeping you stressed and the, and, uh, anxious and you deal with that, then the sleep will just level out and be just exactly what you need if you just let it be natural. So it's don't look so much at fixing a, a piece part as fixing the system as a whole. That will do you much more good. All right. Uh, Nicholas also suggests if we all have the same fears and dream tests, why not list them out like a map? Or we will be working on something um, maybe a video series that will have practical applications for how to get rid of fear. And perhaps we can include uh, the dream tests as well. It seems to be a universal theme. There seems to be similar things that we all can identify with. So we may yeah. Well, you know, dream, the fears we have are often typical within uh, cultures, within subsets of people. You know, so different cultures 
tend to have different things that cause them stresses. And it's those dreams are often affected by those by those stresses that we get in our daily life and by our needs for growing up. So though the fears within a given culture tend to be similar, um, you know, and Freud did a lot of work there where he looked at the, you know, dreams were very similar. And then he looked at people who had very similar kind of problems and issues and things they were dealing with. So he made associations and was able to interpret the dreams in terms of the people. They're similar, but they're all expressed differently. Every individual expresses the same sort of stresses in their own personal way, in a different way. So they are already mapped to some sense. Uh, there's lots of people who interpret dreams and can tell you uh, basically uh, what the issue is underlying a particular dream. So you could look that up on the Internet and learn about it. But just because the dreams are of a similar pattern, every individual expresses those patterns in a different way. All right. Thank you, Tom. The next question is from Abdul M. How can we bring about being changes within us? The question is with respect to making healthy lifestyle changes, such as eating healthy or quitting smoking. I already know at the intellectual level that I need to change, but I can't get myself to actually make these changes at the being level. How should I approach this? And he goes on to say, what does MBT have to say regarding male sexual health? Apart from eating healthy and exercising, what else should men do to get the most out of their sex life? Okay, well, the first part about, I know intellectually I should change, but nothing really ever happens. I don't actually change. Okay, that is a struggle between um, your intellectual awareness and your, what should I say, your uh, your being level that really doesn't want to change. Your intellect says we need to change. The being level says I'm happy just the way I am. Or the being level says I change is hard because I have these fears. Um, so you just have to work that out. You have to be in charge. If you want to change, then you need to just stop the things first at the behavioral level that are the things that you don't want to be doing. So now we're talking about doing. So if you want to stop smoking, then you just have to stop buying cigarettes, stop borrowing cigarettes, you know, and just stop smoking. And you have to have enough intention to stop smoking to make that stick. If the intent to not smoke is, well, I don't think I should, but I really want to, then you're never going to stop smoking. If the intent to stop smoking is I don't want to be, you know, addicted to nicotine. I don't want to be a nicotine addict. And if it's just that clear, then you can stop smoking because you really want to stop. But if you're just talking about, oh, I should stop and that would be a good thing to do, <laughs> that's not going to take you there. You have to really be committed to it and want to do it. Otherwise, you're just saying that you should makes you feel better, but uh, then it never actually happens. It's because you don't really want to quit. You have that, you know, that nicotine addict uh, addiction is calling you. Oh, you know, well, okay, you can quit tomorrow, but today there's no no need to rush into this thing, and you keep putting it off or making excuses or, well, okay, I was going to quit, but you know, I've got a real 
crisis coming up and I'll wait until after the crisis is over because I'll need my cigarettes during the crisis. That's just putting things off. And that's because at a deeper level, you're not committed to quitting. So it's a matter of commitment is how you get to quit. And interesting thing is that if you get fully committed, if you're 100% really committed to making that change, to say not smoking, you can quit on a dime and not have any withdrawals whatsoever. The way you get withdrawals is because there's a part of you that isn't so sure you want to quit. And the intellectual part is basically forcing the other part to go along. But that other part is constantly nagging for an exception. And that is when you have all the withdrawal symptoms. But you can quit smoking just with no withdrawals whatsoever. You can walk away from it and never have an interest in ever picking it up again if you really are committed to doing that. So if you're trying to stop smoking and the withdrawal symptoms are just really getting you down and it's and you just constantly have this yearning and need to you know light up that cigarette, that's because you haven't really gotten yourself 100% committed to it. There's still a part of you that doesn't want to quit smoking. There's a part of you that can justify it. Can even convince yourself that you need it, that you're not ready yet to quit. So it's, you know, it's kind of up to each individual, but the withdrawal is really unnecessary. You can skip it. You just need to have a, a force of will that uh, is certain that it wants to quit. Now, the last question, men's health. Well, you know, women's health, men's health all comes down to very similar things, and that is eat well, you know, exercise daily sort of thing. And uh, one special thing about men's health that the women don't have to worry about is that they have recently, in the last five years or so, identified a whole list of foods that tend to contain estrogen. And if males take in too much estrogen, that's not a good thing. It's not the way they were designed to work, and it, get, it interferes with their uh, uh, biology. So that would be one thing to notice. Go look that up on the Internet and find out, you know, what maybe you should do as far as changing your diet to eliminate uh, estrogen from your diet, at least a lot of it. I mean, a little bit of estrogen in your system isn't a problem, but if you get more than enough, then it's... It's uh, detrimental to you. So that's just new information that's come up, like I say, in the last few years that we've realized that a lot of things like, um, you know, seeds, uh, which cover a whole lot of things in seeds, but it's not all seeds, but some seeds, uh, soybeans have been uh, uh, put up front because that was one of the first research that was done. Uh, also, uh, there were there's some reports of the, Weightlifters who were using uh, pea protein rather than um, the protein that you get out of milk. You know, those are the two. If you're a weightlifter and you take a lot of protein, usually you go buy these big bottles or big, you know, cardboard cartons of protein and you take huge amounts of protein. And if you take too much of the soy or you take too much of the pea protein, um, you get too much estrogen. Now, if you just normally you know, would take these things, it's not going to bother. The amount of estrogen you get is okay. 
but if you're a weightlifter and you put, you know, you want 200 grams of protein, you know, every day or some excessive amount like that, now you're getting more of the estrogen than what is good for you because you're being kind of excessive on that particular product. And there's a bunch of other products that fit in there besides the, besides the, uh, seeds and not all seeds fit in that category. You have to go to the internet and find out about that. So, uh, those are the main things for men's health that are, that I can think of that are different, but mostly health in general for men and women is, you know, eat a, eat a, a good diet and get plenty of exercise and plenty of sleep. I mean, that's been the recipe for good health for probably a hundred years. It hasn't changed a whole lot. What's changed is what's considered to be a good diet. That's probably changed more. And, uh, and the equipment we now have for, you know, for exercising is probably different over a hundred years, but basically been the same advice for a long time. And that's the advice that works. Well, one other thing I might say as far as uh, hormones go and, and sexuality, and this would be important for both males and females, you have to be a little careful of foods that contain hormones. You know, we tend to pollute, uh, food, particularly meats with all kinds of hormones, growth hormones and, uh, other, other chemicals and things. So be a little careful about what goes into the food that you eat. Thank you, Tom. Folad has uh, one or two questions for you. Please go ahead. Yeah, Tom. Hi. Um, uh, while I was waiting to ask my questions, my ego was fucking with my brain again and or with my something. Uh, I, I, that, that, that leads me to my first question. Do you um, get any information of my thinking while we are talking? over the LCS or over remote viewing or are you not interested because you then you would get too much information? Do you feel anything of that, what I'm actually going through the last 60 minutes? Yes, when I uh, when I look for it, I do. I don't, like, monitor you all the time, but when, like right now when I'm talking with you, I tend to zone on in you and uh, zone in on you and I do get information then about how you're feeling and uh, and where your mind is. I get just enough to get a sense of it, and I don't try to go into details because that's probably invasive, and I don't like to invade other people's private spaces. But though I, I do get enough to get the sense of where you are, yes. But not <laughs> continually, just as I focus in that direction. As I, as I focus my intent to get that, I get it. Otherwise, I I don't. So so you 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 have the uh, ability to get all the informations if you like. Pretty much, yes. You get the most of the information that I that I need. I can I can get that. So that leads me maybe to the next question. That um, uh, honest is not the right word, but I just use it because I wrote it down. How honest are you by answering the questions inside this fireside chat? Do you take care somehow by answering um, the questions that you maybe sometimes are giving not all the informations that you have regarding the topic you have been asked? Um, 
No, I don't necessarily give all the information that I have uh, on a topic. Um, when I get a question, I do a couple of things. One, I try to understand the bigger uh, what do we say? The bigger picture around that question. In other words, I I hone in on what the person's feeling and why the question is coming from them, and I kind of get in their mind what the question means to them from their viewpoint. That way I can answer in a way as being most helpful. Because if I answered, if I answer a question from the viewpoint of what I think that question means and what I think, you know, the significance is, then it won't necessarily be helpful to the person that's asked it. So I do try to get a little personal with, you know, an individual to see where is that question coming from? What is their, what is their need for information? So I do that. But, I also have to realize that there's going to be, you know, probably in the first week this goes up on YouTube, there'll be 10,000 people who look at it. And after a while, there'll be 100,000 people who will look at it. And I need to not say things that will create problems for other people, that other people could easily misunderstand, misconstrue, you know, come to erroneous conclusions based on a poor interpretation of what I say. So if I get into territory that I think is uh, um, could be misled in a negative way, then I tend to edit that out myself. You know, I don't talk about those things. In general, that's true of all the things that I say. Uh, there's much of what I experience that I don't share. Um, I don't know if I talk about all of my experiences, I probably don't share more than 10 or 15% of them. All the rest of them are just my experiences. I share what I think will be helpful to other people, and I don't share what I think will be unhelpful to other people. That's kind of how I decide what to share and what not to share. It's not actually helpful. It's just perhaps might be entertaining, but not helpful, then I keep it to myself. So I don't tell all. I just tell what I think might be useful and might be helpful. And I don't always get it right as far as what's in a person's mind because sometimes a person's mind, when I go there to find out what their perspective is, that perspective is changing and flashing and going this way and that way. And it's really kind of hard to know exactly where they are because what's inside is is uh, kind of volatile and what they're thinking is kind of volatile. So then I just kind of take an average over all the stuff I get and try to do that. So I'm not always, I don't always know, you know, where a person is and what I should do. Depends on how solid their intent is and how, uh, mercurial their, their, their mind is. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's basically how I do things. So when I'm in a group of people, um, and the group here is big, the group here is going to be a hundred thousand eventually. I try to answer questions in ways that answer them generally enough that they'll be useful to the largest number of people. So I want to be valuable to the person asking it. So I focus on them, but I may add in, you know, I may be able to answer theirs with, with 10 minutes of talk, but I add in things that maybe make it 15 minutes of talk because I'm generalizing to other issues that other people will have around the similar thing. So that it'll be more helpful to a broader audience. So I do all of that. While I'm talking, I try to assess the bigger audience, I assess the individual, I assess what's helpful and what's not.
Yeah, but, um, but is there anything that you will not be asked? Or just answer yes or no, don't give me... The, you mean, uh, is there anything that I don't want to be asked? Yeah, right. Well, it would be hard for me to say what that would be. Mostly why, what I tell people is you can ask me anything if it's an honest question or something you want to know. So I know sometimes people find that they feel like it would be rude to say something like, uh, well, how do you know that, you know, what you say is, is real and not just made up? You know, how do you know you're not just, uh, you know, hallucinating all of these things? Well, people would be timid and wouldn't want to ask that question because they think it would be rude. But I would say if that's the question that you really need answered, then you ought to say it. You ought to ask it. That's not a question that you shouldn't ask. You, should, you can ask things like that. Um, if it's something that is um, for this particular forum that we're on, this particular uh, fireside chat, I don't like to get too deep into technical things because that's not the place for it. This is This is not really a place for technical discussion. What that does is it, you know, it, it eliminates like 90% of the people who are going to watch it. There's only 10% of those people who really care about deep technical issues, maybe less than 10, maybe a one-tenth of 1% 1 that really care about deep technical, technical issues. And I don't want them all sitting around having to listen to me do tech talk with somebody, you know, bored so that they click off and don't watch any more of it. So I try to keep the technical issues to a minimum here. And I I probably won't want to talk about things if they get into issues that would frighten other people or scare people or any way create fear. I tend to steer away from, from those sorts of things. But in general, no, there's not much that I would say I don't want to talk about. But rather than try to guess what I might want to talk about or not, I'd say the better thing is just ask the question and see what happens. If the question is something and I say, well, this is not really the right place for that, then I'll say that. I'll say this isn't really the right place for that. Let's do that offline or let's talk about that later because that's what I have done for technical questions. And I do sometimes for for personal questions. Now, if people who ask personal questions are very good questions, can be very good questions because a lot of people have similar problems. You know, like the person that says, well, I'd like to quit smoking, but... I never do. You know, what can I do about that? Well, there's probably a couple of million people that are in that same boat that would be interested. That's a personal issue for that person, but it's also an issue that a lot of people share. So those kind of personal issues, yes, those are perfectly, you know, acceptable for this forum. Uh, personal issues that are very unique and only personal to, a, you know, individuals or a tiny minority of individuals then not so much because this forum has to be suitable for a large number of people. So then we won't do that. So if it's like, you know, how can I get my grandmother, you know, to wear, uh, you know, different clothes or something like that? Well, not a lot of people are going to be worried about that. So that would be a personal one that I wouldn't particularly work on because that's not an issue that many people would have. So that's how I decide what's what's relevant and what's not. You know, we've done, you and I have done some talks together that we put out on YouTube. And I get a lot of feedback from those. And most of the feedback is from people who can relate. You know, they have similar problems and issues and questions that we talk about. 
and they get a lot out of it. So in that case, that's good for that forum. Um, you know, so that sort of thing, uh, in this forum is okay, but probably in smaller amounts because this is, you know, kind of a, a bigger picture forum here that, that handles lots of different kinds of subjects. So we wouldn't spend like a half an hour, an hour on that. That would be too much here, but you know, a smaller amount of time on it would be fine. Problems that, uh, that most people have that are personal. Millions of other people have those same problems, feel the same way, and they can get a lot out of the answer. So those are all good things for us to talk about. Uh, um, I have so many other questions, but I'm not able to ask them because yeah, I, I haven't um, figured out how to put it into words, but I already put some other question into words, but I'm not sure if I should ask them. One or two I will maybe ask if there's time left for that. So oh, go, ahead. go ahead and ask one. See yeah. see how it works. <laughs> so, so, so I told you we're right now in Switzerland with a group of people who are doing um, body work, like techniques that will make your life be easier, but it's a, it's a, it's a tradition, uh, not a tradition, it's like, um, it's called Tantian Chuan, and um, It's, it has to do with movements and to um, make the movements um, on an easier way. And uh, while we were discussing, discussing two days ago about some things, um, uh, uh, the, the discussion led me to one or two questions. So how far can I go by rebuilding the structure of reality in this, inside this PMR or How far can other entities blocking me by rebuilding my structure of reality inside this PMR? So that means, um, um, that, as you said, this PMR has um, some laws, and most of them like Newton's laws, but um, it, it, If enough people are having another new, uh, other belief system or just no more belief systems and they, they are just there, they're like making miracles or like telekinase or telepathy. Um, because I started thinking about or trying to throw battle from the table while we were discussing to show them, see, um, this is just an information based reality, but it doesn't work because I'm too much ego based. But, Yeah, the question was, um, is there a way to, to rebuild the structure of reality and are there entities or is, will entities um, are blocking me by doing it? Okay. It's, it's uh, very possible to build up the structure of your own reality. That is to change. You, know, you can do that just by the way you interpret things, the way you see things. Uh, just by changing attitudes. So you can change uh, the nature of your own reality very powerfully. That's something you have a lot of control over. As far as the, not your personal reality, but the uh, the general reality that everybody shares, now that's generally um, defined by the rule set. But people can do things other than what the rule set allows you can change things many of these things are things you said like telekinesis moving the bottle off the table those kinds of things can be done 
And the rule set doesn't explain that because the rule set's just what computes this physical reality. It doesn't, it doesn't take into account consciousness. It just takes into account the physical reality. Consciousness is something different. It's a different system. So when you add consciousness to it, then there's a lot of things you can do that are not covered by the rule set. So it's not really that you're breaking the rule set. You're just introducing things that, uh, that uh, don't have to abide, you know, consciousness that doesn't have to abide by that rule set because it's not physical. So you can change things here phys- that are physical, like the bottle on the table. You could maybe levitate it or slide it off the table if your mind was steady and focused and you'd worked at it long enough to get into that uh, uh, consciousness state where that becomes easier to do. So those things are possible. If you do those things in a way that it draws a lot of outside attention, then you'll find they're less possible. They're less likely because the system doesn't want a whole lot of people to intellectually understand the nature of reality until they grow up to actually understand it from a more, you know, from the being level, not just from the intellectual level, because that would get us to a point where our intellect had a lot more um, information, a lot more power than the level of our growth was able to wield. You know, we kind of are in that jam anyway, where our, uh, you know, we have, we have more of ability to destroy things and mess things up than we do have the, the growth and the maturity and the uh, quality of consciousness to deal with the, and to profitably deal with the technologies that we already have. So there's a cart and horse issue. You know, there, then the system would kind of get in the way of you doing those paranormal things because there were a lot of people, say a lot of cameras around that were broadcasting this all over the place. Then the bottle probably would stay where it was. And unless there was very little credibility to the resulting film, then it wouldn't matter because people would look at it and figure it was all hoax, all a hoax anyway. So yes, you can, you can modify. The way reality works, you can do things like telekinesis. You can uh, drastically change your own personal reality just by changing your attitude, just by changing the way you interpret the world. If you kind of feel down and negative and depressed, then you will tend to interpret the world in a very negative way. And the world will seem to be unresponsive and negative and ugly and not very, uh, you know, not very good place to be. But that is an interpretation, not a fact. And if you tend to be very, uh, very positive and, uh, and see everything in a very positive light, then the world seems to be a very positive place, full of positive things. And the fact that, uh, you know, some of it can be very ugly doesn't bother you. You just accept that because that's the way it is. But that doesn't upset you. So it, I don't know if that helps answer your question or not. So if you 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 pretty sure I'm pretty sure you know the model of the hundred monkey. Yeah. So if, uh, if the hundred monkey the hundred monkey um, realized that it's possible to levitate the bottle, so all the monkeys will um, realize it's possible. So is that maybe a way, or is that it's not possible because too many other hundred monkeys will say. Um, or will believe it's not possible so that yeah. the system will not allow it. 
Yeah, the, usually that that the hundredth monkey works the other way. You've got the hundredth, you got the hundred monkeys, and they've all figured out some sort of thing. You know, they they uh, have figured out some sort of thing that that is very profitable for them. And then that's the ninety nine monkeys who figured that out. Now you take the hundredth monkey in from the jungle or someplace who doesn't have any of this information that the other ninety nine have figured out, and that hundredth monkey comes in and seems to pick it up almost instantly. It's like they know it, even though they haven't had a chance to learn it. It's like they pick it up from the minds of the other monkeys. Well, that's kind of the fact that minds are all connected. So that hundredth monkey comes in from out of the jungle, and just by connecting with all the other minds in there, it can learn how to get through the maze or punch the right colored button to get the food very, very quickly. Matter of fact, it even has some some knowledge of it, some uh, rough knowledge of it, before he's even exposed to the other 99 monkeys. So it's not so much that the other monkeys teach him as it is he just picks that up out of their collective consciousness because he's monkey, they're monkeys, they, they have a collective consciousness in monkeydom, and that uh, that bleeds through. So he comes in, and intuitively he knows what light button to hit to hit to get the food to come out the other end. And where the other monkeys maybe spent three or four months learning how to do that, he comes in with some intuition how it works and then learns it very quickly. That's typically the hundredth monkey. It's the bulk. It's the large number that affects the outlier. The other way around is a little different, and that is that there's a hundred monkeys that are ignorant and one monkey that has... uh, has information that one monkey will only affect the collective consciousness a small amount. See, collective consciousness is like a sum of all the consciousnesses there. So one monkey coming into a group is going to be more affected by that group than the group is affected by that one. That one is going to change the collective consciousness a little bit, but not so much as that group is going to influence the individual. And we see that in um, well, all sorts of things, in cultures. You know, culture is just a collective consciousness. And everything has cultures. Nations have cultures, but so do ethnic groups have cultures. So do uh, corporations have cultures. And people that, that join those groups begin to start acting and thinking and feeling like the people that are that are in their collective culture. They just take on the attributes of that culture more or less because they're part of that collective consciousness. And they take it on in as much as they really identify with the group. If they come into a group but they don't identify with it, then they don't take on as much of its traits. So, yes, we can, we, gradually as we grow up and lower our entropy, we will affect others to do the same. And enough of us grow up to where we kind of have a critical mass, you know, that uh, then we will cause lots of others to do the same. But when we're the small minority, when we're a very small minority, we still help the others change, but it's not as dramatic. Because we're the small minority and the big minority, we don't affect them quite as much. That's why it's important for these ideas that love is the answer. It's important for that to get into the mainstream. Because once it gets in the mainstream, it has the possibility to affect, you know, hundreds of millions.
many hundreds of millions, billions. As long as it stays out in the margins, then its ability to to have a, a major effect always remains small. Um, so I'm pretty sure you already answered the question of um, what will happen if um, all individual units of consciousness are and lowered the, the, their entropies. So if mm -hmm. the, the entropies have, has its lowest level in the, inside the larger consciousness system in all realities, um, what will be the next thing? So is the, the game then over or is, is the wave going back up to the higher, um, lower, uh, to, the, to a higher entropy? I'm not getting the point what, what, what it's all about. Okay, well, uh, the work is never done. You don't get the game over. Uh, lowering entropy takes effort, like we said. You don't get growth just because you're thinking about it or you want it. You have to put effort into it. You have to do it. You have to have an intention, and that intention has to be focused. So it takes energy to change something, and it's the same with your growth. To lower entropy, you have to put work in. If you don't put work in, nothing happens, and if you stop putting putting work in, your entropy just spontaneously starts to grow, get bigger. So your entropy goes from low, starts getting bigger, starts getting higher. You become, you start de-evolving if you stop putting energy into growing. So it takes a certain amount of effort even just to stay even. If you stop altogether, you start to de-evolve. Even if you don't do anything, you just stop putting effort Stop uh, caring about people. You just interact with people but don't really care anymore. Then you will begin to de-evolve. So we don't get to a point where we're done. We're here to grow and evolve, and that's going to be our our job. It doesn't it doesn't go away. As we get lower and lower entropy, we have more and more challenging things to do. After you get yourself straightened out, then you become a teacher. You help other people straighten themselves out. You help other people understand where they're going and other people to uh, lower their entropy. You see, so, it, it, and if you, if this whole system and this virtual reality were to be a very low entropy system, there's other virtual realities out there that would need help of a low entropy beings. So we have low entropy beings that come into the system and try to help us uh, from time to time. We have teachers. We have, uh, you know, people that are inspiring us to grow. And that's part of the way it works. The more you grow up, the more you're able to give back. And that doesn't end because the system itself is still evolving. Evolution is an open-ended thing. You don't get to the end point of evolution. Evolution just keeps cranking on, trying to meet what makes it work, which is in this case with consciousness is lowering the entropy. Uh, there's always some place to go to help. There's going to be always entities that uh, are new in the system. Populations keep increasing. New entropies keep coming in. There's always something to do, some positive contribution to make. This VR or some other VR. There's not enough low entropy consciousness to do all the teaching that needs to be taught. So we constantly need more, but it's a slow process of lowering entropy.